Bibles, if you have uh, your Bibles with you. If you don't, you can grab your, uh, some Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. And uh, why don't you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. At least we'll be starting there, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we'll, we'll be kind of jumping around a few verses in the New Testament, so you can follow along yeah, in your Bible or on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are going to begin. Glad you all made it here this morning on a cold day. It's warm in here, and uh, we're blessed to be in the Word of God together. I trust that you're there. Matthew chapter 6. Let's pray. Uh, if you'll pray with me, and then we'll dive into our sermon. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you that we can be in this place, that we can sit under your Word. And Father, we pray, uh, especially this time of year, as we are thinking about uh, the upcoming year, as we're pondering the blessings of the past year, and as we're thinking ahead to uh, areas in our, our life that you want us to make some changes, to think about our commitments and to make resolutions uh, to you. God, help us, we pray, to resolve to be who you want us to be and to make priorities the things that you and your words say should be priorities in our lives. Help us during this uh, winter sermon series to do just that as we explore the New Testament to find out what it is that you want us to be committed to as your people. So, Father, we pray for your grace and for your help. We thank you for this season that we have celebrated, the beauty of the Incarnation, that, Jesus, you would humbly come down, that you would become one of us to save us from our sins. And we're so very grateful for this gift of salvation that we can receive through faith and faith alone, the forgiveness of our sins, the reconciliation of a relationship with you, eternal life, and that we can be made new people this new year. We pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, as our video this morning introduced us to, we are coming to the time of year, right, where people are thinking about New Year's resolutions for their lives. We are thinking about things that we would like to do better in the new year, aren't we? We're thinking about maybe uh, starting to eat healthier. We're starting to think about maybe going to the gym a little bit more, starting some exercise regiments. Maybe we want to kick a bad habit. Maybe one of our resolutions is to finally, it's finally time to, to do the Dave Ramsey thing and sort of get our spending and our debt under control. So time to, to grab the, uh, the, the clippers right and take out the credit cards. Maybe we're thinking about doing something different, trying a new hobby. Maybe like the gentleman on the video, we want to read more, you know, like books, things like that. Maybe we want to spend more time volunteering. I don't know what your New Year's resolution list might look like, but whatever it might be for you, this is the time of year when we are sort of naturally evaluating our lives, are we not? We're, we're thinking about what we could do and what we could be, and we're making resolutions to better our lives. But when we begin to think about what New Year resolutions really are about, they boil down, I think, to this single word, this single idea, and it's the word of commitment. New Year's resolutions are all about commitment, are they not? We make New Year's resolutions because we don't feel like we are as committed to something as we should be, right? Or as we want to be. So if we were, in actuality, 
committed to exercise, right? Then uh, getting that Creekside membership and actually going a few times a week wouldn't be one of our resolutions, right? Because we're actually doing it. If we were committed, for example, to spending quality time with our kids, then making a resolution to sort of cut out of work a little bit early a few times a week, we wouldn't have to make the resolution because we would already be committed. You see, resolutions, to some degree, reveal a lack of present commitment, do they not? At least to some degree. So here's what I'd like for us to do. We're introducing our winter sermon series. Our winter sermon series is entitled, Comfortable Christianity. Comfortable Christianity. And the subtitle reads this way. Jesus didn't call us to be comfortable. He called us to be committed. He called us to be committed. We're going to be asking some important questions, I think, over the coming weeks, if you stick with us. The most important question I really want us to begin with is is this question. What are we committed to? What are you really committed to? I want us to to take some time, starting today, and hopefully throughout the the coming weeks, to, to really begin to evaluate our commitments, the things that we are committed to, not what we should be committed to or what we want to be committed to, but what in actuality we really are committed to. See, I want to be committed to exercise and I want to be committed to eating right, but my actions, how often I run or a lack thereof, and how many desserts I eat actually uh, tell a different story, right? We want to be committed to a whole host of things. But the question before us that I want us to sort of chew on is the question of reality. What are we really committed to in our lives? In other words, what would we say that we are devoted to? What is it in my life and in your life that you are absolutely dedicated to its success? Just think about that for a minute. What in your life are you absolutely committed to it succeeding, to it thriving? I think that most of us have many things in our lives that we are committed to. And we can honestly evaluate them and say we are committed to them. And and probably most of them, for, for many of us, these are good things. Things that we should be committed to. So let me just ask you married folks a quick question here. Would you say that you are committed to your marriage? Would you say that you're committed to your spouse? And if you answer yes, and I hope you do, by the way, I I want you to begin to think about how do you know that to be true? I mean, what evidence is there in your life that you are devoted or committed to your marriage? Are you, those of you who have children, are you committed to your children? Are you committed to your family? And if so, how do you know? What else might you be committed to? Maybe it's a hobby that you really enjoy, a sport like golf or uh, a hobby like camping or, or, or boating. Maybe you're committed to a sports team. Maybe it's the Cards. Maybe it's the Cubs. Maybe it's the Bears. Maybe it's the Illini. Are you committed to that team? And how, how would you know if you are? Well, how many hours do you spend watching games? And how often are you on the team website? Maybe you're committed to physical fitness, to to exercise. These are all good things, right? 
So all of this really leads us to the central question. I want us to begin to think about what it is that we are really committed to. And as we think about it, just even here and now, I bet we can probably list several things that we are devoted to, we are committed to, and those are good things. But here's the question that is before us. Are we committed to Jesus and his church? That's the central question that we will be pondering and developing over the coming weeks. Are we committed to God and his people and his priorities? Of all the things that we can honestly say, I'm committed to this and I'm committed to that. Is, is God and his church one of those things? Of all the things that we're committed to, as we evaluate our life, we look at our time, we look at our money, we look at our emotional investments, and can we honestly say that God is one of our priorities, that his people and his purposes in this world, that that's something that we are devoted to, we're committed to it. Of all the things, is Jesus Christ and his church one of those things? So, for the next several weeks, we're going to be working our sermon series around answering two, two questions. Question number one, what type of commitment does God desire and require? For those of us who are Christians, who have personally professed faith in Jesus Christ, what kind of commitment does God both desire from us and does he require of us? Or in other words, When the Bible uses language of commitment or devotion, what does it mean? What does God mean when we see some of the scriptures that we'll be looking at here shortly that speak of commitment and devotion? What what does that look like, tangibly speaking? What are the implications of it? So question number one, and we'll be answering this question for this Sunday and for next Sunday. What type of commitment does God desire and require? And then number two, what should we as Christians be committed to, right? What is commitment, and then what should we be committed to? We have to understand question number one first, right? When God speaks of commitment and devotion, what does he mean? What does that look like? And then secondly, what are the types of things that individual Christians and then Churches, a local church like ours, what should we be committed to? We'll be spending several weeks fleshing these questions out. And we're going to begin this morning by answering the first question. What type of commitment does God require and does he desire? And we're going to do that by looking at seven words in the New Testament that are often translated in your Bible sitting in your lap as commitment or devotion. In other words, we're going to look at the biblical language of commitment. And we're going to learn some things about what God means when he uses these words and then what he requires of us. We'll be looking at seven words. Today we'll be looking at three. And then next week we'll be looking at four. So I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6 because that's the first place we'll be looking at because it contains the first word. Now if you want to take a look at the screen behind me, You'll see our first word in the New Testament for commitment. Uh, it's, it's, it's called enteco. And uh, <clears throat> this morning, I was talking with Glenn, and he was looking at the PowerPoint. And he's like, yeah, this word right over there kind of you know, makes me a little nervous because it doesn't look like English. And it's not, right? This is Greek. So, Glenn, you're cool. No worries, man. It's, it's, it's supposed to look like that, right? 
Anteco. It's, it's a Greek word, and it's simply, uh, you pronounce it, Anteco. What it means, or what it's often translated as in your Bible, it's often translated as being devoted to something. They were devoted to this. Or it, it can have a bit of a second nuance, and we'll talk about that in a moment. It can also mean to hold on to something. To hold on to something. You'll see right there at the bottom of your screen that this uh, word shows up at least three times, the ones that we'll be focusing in on. The first is Matthew 6, which you're open to. The second is in Luke chapter 16, which is a parallel passage, right? Similar type story. And then the third is in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. So if you want to sort of open to Titus chapter 1, just kind of stick your finger there. That's where we'll be going next. So anteco is our first word. Let's take a look um, at what it means in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be reading verse 24, where it refers to our commitment or our devotion to God. So, of course, this is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus says these words. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to. There's our word. Or you will be devoted to. You will be, you will enteco, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, and then he drives home his point. You cannot serve both God and money. So in this context, right, Jesus is speaking, of course, to our commitment or our devotion to God, right? Take a look at Titus chapter 1, if you will. You can flip there in your Bible. You can look on the screen behind me. In Titus chapter 1, we also see Anteco used. In the context, Paul is speaking of the requirements of elders, and he, he begins in verse 9. And he uses this word. Starting in verse 9, Paul says this, He, that is the the possible or prospective elder, he must hold firmly. Notice the NIV translates this word slightly differently here. He must hold firmly. He must enteco to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So in these two passages, right, we see our first word, and we see two things that the Scripture is telling us to be committed to, right? The first, of course, is commitment to God, and the second, of course, is commitment to His Word. See that? Commitment to God, Matthew chapter 6. Commitment to His Word, Titus chapter 1. What does this Greek word, anteko, when you begin to study it, what does it reveal to us about the nature of the devotion or commitment that God desires of us? When you do some study, you'll find out that anteko, it's trans, it, it, it has the idea of holding on to something, sort of like in the Titus passage. It means to hold on to an object in a way or in a manner that matches the object grasped. Now, you may be saying, that doesn't make any sense. I'll read it again, and then I'll illustrate it, and I think you'll understand what this word really means. It means to hold on to an object in a way that corresponds to or matches the object grasped. So, first nuance of this word. This word implies that the more valuable the object that we're holding on to, the more valuable that object is, the stronger of a grip we use to hold on to it because that object is so valuable that we don't want to lose it. And that's the nuance that we see in Matthew chapter 6, right? Jesus says, 
be devoted to God, be committed to God, hold on to this object that is your relationship with God because he is imminently valuable. When I uh, was proposing to my wife uh, several years ago, we just celebrated our 13th anniversary uh, this December. And I remember uh, when I um, proposed to her. And so she happened to be home uh, in Tulsa for the weekend, and I was back in Dallas, and uh, I was waiting on our, our uh, anniversary, uh, excuse me, our uh, engagement ring. And I had just got it, and I was just anxious to, to propose. And so I came up with the idea that I would hop on a plane with the ring in tote, and I would fly up to Tulsa, and I would surprise her at her house, and I would propose to her there at her house. It went pretty well, I think, um, and I did surprise her, uh, and, and so it went well. <clears throat> and so there I am uh, with my bag in the airport, and I have in my pocket, my right pocket, um, this, this ring, right? Now let me ask you a question. As I make my way through the airport and onto the airplane, and, and you know what, what kind of a process this, this is, right? I had that ring in my pocket. Do you think that I let go of that ring Not for one second did I let go of that ring. Number one, because I'd never had anything so valuable in my in my possession in my entire life, right? This thing cost a ton, at least to me it felt like it. And so I'm like, I'm not gonna let this thing go, right? So I'm I'm walking through the scanners. Do you have everything out of your pocket? No, I don't, right? It's right here. This is what it is, and I'm not giving it to you. It's not going through that thing, right? It's right here, and I'm I'm grasping it, right? I'm holding on to it. Now let me ask you a question. Why did I hold on to that thing so tightly? Did that itty-bitty little ring, which, which you know, it, it had no weight, right? Why did I hold on to it? It's because it was valuable, right? It was valuable. And, friends, that's what this word means. Our relationship to God, our devotion to God, Matthew chapter 6, is like that ring, right? We hold on to that relationship, Because he is imminently valuable. We're not going to let it go, right? So that's one nuance of what this word means. We hold on to it because it's valuable. But there's another nuance. There's another nuance. It not only means that we hold on to something because it's valuable, but the the word anteco means that we hold on to something because some, this object, because somebody is trying to pry that object away from us. Do you get that image? We're holding on to it, and we have to grip it with force because somebody or something is trying to pry that object away from us. Now look again in Titus chapter 1. Paul says that elders, and if elders are to do this, then all Christians are too, right? That they should hold firmly. They should anteco to what? The trustworthy message as it has been taught Elders are to, to, to hold on to God's trustworthy message. They are to, to grasp it with two hands. And friends, if you're a Christian today, that's your posture towards the word as well. You hold on to it. Why? Well, what does Paul say? So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who what? Oppose it. Those who oppose this book. In other words, this is the idea. Paul is saying... Christian, be committed to this book because somebody's going to try to take it from you. Somebody's going to try to take it from your hands. They're going to try to, to pry your fingers off the book and take it away from you. When I was a, a teenager, I was like 15, and uh, 
my dad only did this once, and I don't know why, but he took me deep sea fishing uh, off the Gulf of Mexico. We grew up in Corpus Christi, so there was the Gulf, and so he's like, we're going deep sea fishing. Great. It was a great day. Once you kind of got over the seasickness and the vomiting, it was great. So we got out there, right? And I'm feeling good at this point. Got the Dramamine or whatever it is. And I've got this huge fishing pole, and we're all fishing. And make a long story short, I got something. I got something, right? And, and I'm reeling in, in and I'm, they're like, what is it? I'm like, I don't know. But it, it's, it's hard, increasingly hard. And I realize this is no, like, minnow. You know, this is, this is some, something substantial. And I, I'm reeling it in, and I'm reeling it in. And then you see that fish kind of, you know, come out of the water a little bit. What do you think I had on the end of that? I had, I had a shark. I had a shark on the end of my pole. Now, thankfully, it wasn't like um, Jaws-type shark, right? It was, it was a small, in fact, it was a baby. The guide's like, oh, you got a baby shark. And I'm like, it doesn't feel like a baby shark. You know, this thing, and long, so I, I reeled and I reeled and I fought and I fought for like 45 minutes. I'm, I'm tugging and I'm pulling and, I'm, and my hands are blistering and it, it's, it takes effort. Let me ask you, was I going to let go of that fishing pole? No way. I was not going to let go of that fishing pole. And it's not because it was necessarily something valuable at the end, although it was valuable to me. Um, if, I, you know, if I let go, it's gone, right? There is an opposite force pulling at that object. Got it? Right? That's the meaning of this word that, that Paul uses here. He says, hold on to the word, Christians, because there will be someone who will want to wrestle its truthfulness, its authority, its accuracy away from you. Do you know that, Christian? That people want to take this book away from you. They want to take its truthfulness away from you. They want to take its authority away from you. So let me ask you, how tightly are you holding on to these things? How tightly are you holding on to that book despite the forces trying to pry it away from your hands? How, how devoted or committed are you to your relationship with God? Do you esteem Him infinitely valuable? And so like that ring, you're going to grasp it because He is supremely valuable. Friends, that's what, that's what it means to be committed. Committed to God, committed to His Word, and teko. But there's a second word that I want us to take a look at. And so if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you still do, why don't you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you're in Matthew, turn to your right just a few, uh, a few books. You'll find uh, the Gospels. You'll hit Acts. You'll hit Romans. And then you'll hit 1 Corinthians. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll focus in on verse 35. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. Here in this passage, we see a second and a different word that the New Testament uses to speak about devotion or commitment. And it's a fun one to say. Actually, no, it's, it's, it's a harder one to say. The third one is fun. The second one is hard. Euprosidros. How about that one, right? That's a, that's a tough one. Some words in Greek are just like butter. They, they come out, they just melt in your mouth. Some words in Greek are just hard to say. You prosidros. That's how you say this one. I won't say it a bunch because I'll butcher it. But, but that's the second word in Greek. It's often translated in your Bibles simply as devotion or to uh, something de- that you are devoted to. And it's found only once. It's found only once in the Bible. 
right here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. Now, in the context, what's going on here, Paul is talking about the undivided commitment or devotion that a single person, that is an unmarried person, that a single person can offer to Christ that a married person cannot. Just as an aside, friends, the American church needs a a bigger and bolder and fuller understanding of Christian singleness. That's just an aside. Paul talks about it right here in in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. And this is what he says. Verse 35. I am saying this, Paul says, for your own good, not to restrict you. And he's, he's talking about his earlier comment that he would that they all be single like him. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, he says, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided, here's our word, devotion, right? In undivided uh, devotion to the Lord. You prosedros to the Lord. As in Matthew chapter 6, this word, of course, is referring to devotion or to commitment as it relates to Jesus. Paul says, he tells single folks that he wants them to to use their singleness to have a sort of undivided, unhindered commitment and service to Jesus. And he tells us a little bit back in verse 32 what that means. If you have your Bibles open, just take a look at verse 32. Well, what does he mean when he says that, that single Christians can have an undivided devotion to the Lord that married people cannot? Well, he, he explains it a little bit in verse 32. He says that the single guy or the single gal can, quote, be concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. So what does this undivided devotion look like? Well, it looks like being concerned about what Jesus desires, his affairs, his business, how we can please him. Now, certainly while speaking about the devotion that an unmarried Christian can have to Christ, I think we can learn something about the nature of devotion, the nature of commitment from this word. Because at the root of this word, it means the image is, is, is that of a waiter or a waitress? So think about that context, right? Being at a restaurant. Um, that's what this word means. It means to wait upon or to attend to somebody. It's a term used of waiters or waitresses, those who would serve their master's tables. That is, it, it refers to an attendant who is eager and willing and ready to obey their master or their guests. So have you ever had an experience where you're at a restaurant and uh, you, you have a waiter that I would deem to be maybe a little bit over eager, right? A, a waiter or a waitress that is maybe too good of a waiter or a waitress. So you're at, at your table and they're sort of always around you, right? They're kind of hovering around you and they're, they're watching to see, do you need some more water? Do you need some more drink? Do you need some more bread? They're just, they're kind of maybe there too often. It seems like you take a, a drink or two from your drink and then boom, they're there to fill it up, right? You can't get it more than a quarter down because they're just there, right? All the time, hovering, lingering, watching, waiting for the opportunity. Maybe they're, they're a little bit too good of a waiter or waitress. That's kind of what this word means. And Paul uses it to speak of a Christian's service or devotion or commitment to Jesus. This is the picture of devotion that Paul says we are to have unto the Lord. 
We are to be like a server, eager to hear a word from Jesus and to obey him. Eager to find out what he desires, what he wants, what Jesus is concerned about, what is his business, because like a good waiter or waitress, we want to be pleasing to him. We want to know what his word is, what his desire is. And so are we so committed to Jesus that in prayer or in study of the word or through the Spirit's promptings that we are like a, a good waiter or waitress, we're, we're there, we're, we're eager to hear, we want to obey, we're desirous to be pleasing to him. In every situation, that's, that's what it means to be committed to Jesus. We're, we're like a waiter. We, we want to know, what does he want? What is his will? What is his word? So we come this morning to our final word. And it's found in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles in 1 Corinthians, it's very easy to find Romans. Go back one chapter and you'll find Romans. Find Romans chapter 12 and we'll be looking at verse 10. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, where we get our third and final word for commitment or devotion for the morning. Now this one, unlike the, uh, the prior Greek word, this one's actually very easy to say, and it's kind of fun. Philostorgos. That just sounds fun. It's easy to say. It's one of my favorite Greek words. Philostorgos. And we find it in Romans chapter 12 verse 10. Again, it's translated very similarly to be devoted to something or some translations will, will say uh, be, de- be devoted in kindness is kind of one of the ways a translation will put it. Be devoted to one another or, or have, have kind-hearted affection, one translation says, because as you'll find out here momentarily, this word is used to speak of how Christians relate to one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Here's the NIV. It says, Be devoted to one another in love. There's our word, philostorgos. Be devoted, is how this translation has it. Be devoted to one another, Paul says, in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So this, this word for devotion or commitment obviously is in the context of how we relate to each other as Christians, right? There is a commitment or a devotion not only that we have to God, not only that we have to his word, not only that we have to Jesus, but there's a commitment that we have to each other, right? Be devoted to one another. Be committed to one another. This word uh, is, uh, is a combination word. Philos, which means a, a lover or a friend of, and storge, which means family love. In other words, the word refers to one who is a, a lover of family or has a, a special family affection or devotion. In other words, are you, do you have this inside of you? You, you love your sisters and your brothers because they're your sisters and your brothers. You love your mom and dad because they're your mom and dad. It, this word speaks to affection, natural affection between family members. We all know what this lie is like, I hope, right? I hope you have this in your family. That because this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my mom, this is my cousin, there's this affection, there's this commitment that we have to our family, right? We're committed to our family, are we not? Of course we are. It's, it's, it's a natural thing, right? Sometimes I wonder if it's true with my kids, uh, to be right honest. Uh, but, but then sometimes we get these glimmers of hope, right? When, 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 when one 
doesn't have a cookie and, and the other gives the other one a cookie. Or when my two-year-old sees my four-year-old crying and he says, saw you're sad, and he will go and pat her on the back or something like that, right? There's these glimmers of hope that there is this family connection, this, this family love that, that, that this word is speaking to. But, but here's the catch. We all know what it's like to have a love or an affection for our family members, but Paul, what kind of family is he talking about here? He's not talking about our natural family, is he? He's not talking about the affection that I have for my sister, is he? He's talking about the affection and the devotion that I have to Stan Boyce, because he's my brother in Christ. Or I won't go through naming names here, right? But, but th- that I have to you. Because you are my sister in the Lord, and you are my brother in the Lord, right? It's referring to the special affection that we have as members of God's family. Because we have been born again and divinely adopted by God, we share the same Heavenly Father. And so Paul can say, listen, your brothers, your sisters, have the same type of commitment to your brothers and your sisters in the Lord that you have to your brothers and your sisters in the flesh. Did you get that? That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying there is a different family that we have become a part of. So let me close with this question. How devoted are you to the family of God? How devoted are you? How committed are you to your brothers and your sisters in Christ? To growing in your relationship with them? To to knowing them better? To spending time with them? To serving them? To counseling them or being counseled by them? To learning from them or learning, uh, being, or teaching them? Are we more committed to our flesh and blood than we are to the blood-bought brothers and sisters that we have in Christ? Paul says, Philostorgos, one another. Love, be devoted to one another. So, three words that we've seen this week that helps us just get a better idea of what commitment in the New Testament means. It means to hold tightly to something because that thing is valuable. It means to hold on to something because somebody wants to take that object from you. It it, it means being like a waiter or a waitress anxiously desiring uh, to know what Jesus wants. It means having a family love or a devotion for one another. Friends, how are we doing this year? How are we doing? My prayer as we celebrate New Year's, right? This is what we're going to do in however many hours, 12 hours roughly from now. We will ring in uh, the New Year, right? And hopefully at some point we'll be celebrating and we'll be thinking about priorities. We'll be thinking about commitments. We'll be thinking about resolutions. So my prayer is that as we have this in our hearts and in our minds that that we'll begin to think about what are we really committed to? What does God want us to be committed to? We're going to flesh this out as the weeks go by. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and are so grateful that we can turn to your word and even as we look at single words in the Bible, that we know that each and every word is inspired by you, that each and every word is, is preserved by you, and that each and every word has something for us. And Father, we've seen this morning three words that are instructive for what it is that we should be committed to and what even it means to be devoted to you and to your word and to the people of God. And so help us, we pray, as we evaluate our lives to think about what it is that you would desire for us to be about here at Grace 
and beyond. We ask it in the name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. Great. Have a happy new year. See you next week.